All right, here we go. The podcast with Pastor Dorian Cass. Necessary conversations with Pastor Dorian. What up, dope? What's up, Watson? Yo, yo, what up? How we doing? Man, I'm great, man. Can't complain. Good, good. Hey, uh, just want to hop right in this week because we got a little bit of house cleaning and some things I just want to talk about real fast. Uh, as always, thanking the listeners, the users, the likes, the shares, all the different social media platforms. Now you guys just keep pushing us and pushing us and showing us the love. Just keep the five-star reviews coming. And, you know, if you don't want us to throw a five-star, just throw a review in there. Uh, the Apple Podcast, it really likes it. It bumps us up. That's why right now you can find us on Google. Just Google Pastor Dorian Cass, you'll see the uh, podcast there. Necessary conversations with Pastor Dorian. It all helps and moves us right up. First page of Google, looking for it. So um, one other thing, or two other things, I should say. The Facebook page directly for Necessary Conversations with Pastor Dorian. That is up and running, and you can just go directly to that versus my page. But feel free to come visit me on my page, too. But that is directly for the podcast. Uh, you can message us, like us on there. And then lastly, we've got the official email, conversepasscast at gmail.com. So converse, C-O-N-V-E-R-S-E, just short for conversation, past, short for pastor, and cast, the man's last name. That being said, we're going to hop in and uh, do a little bit of follow-up feedback from episode one, <laughs> something you had kind of talked on, Dorian. Uh, you <laughs> Seems know, like that was a really long time ago, man. <laughs> man, you know that's part of what age does to us. Everything feels like a long time ago. I might not remember breakfast <laughs> here to come soon enough. <laughs> hey, I'm not that old, man. <laughs> well, you know, I won't uh, talk about you at least uh, on the mic. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, in the episode of what does faith look like? You talked about uh, certain things, and uh, we like to call it a teaser in uh, this world, where we teased that we would come back to this, and here we are, uh, in the church being a certain safe place, in a uh, something where you could come to people about certain things you're feeling, but at the time in you know your youth, you didn't feel that way, even with your father being your spiritual and natural father, Bishop Cass, you didn't feel mm -hmm. comfortable and. You know, what was it that you feel like could have put you in that position? Because we're going to kind of just hit on that this whole episode. But I just want to start off with following up and expounding upon that uh, note that you were talking about there. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, back in the first episode, we were talking about or I specifically was talking about like this real uh, intense time of doubt that I went through during my, my college years. And I didn't feel like and I think uh, the specific term I used was that I had a safe space to express those doubts. Now, I want to make clear that that's just how I felt. I'm not saying that, that it's true that it wouldn't have been, there wouldn't have been a safe space for me to have that conversation. I'm just saying that I felt that way. And that's just as important. Um, I'm, I'm saying that because I, I'm sure there may be some people, and my father is one in particular, because I found out over time that I most certainly could have had that conversation with him. And there's other people <laughs> that I'm sure would say, you know, he could have came and talked to me. But I right. think what's important to know and what I consider myself now is that because I felt that way, that says that uh, potentially there was an opportunity for the church to have communicated more openly and more clearly that this is a place that's safe to doubt, to not be a hundred percent. Okay. You know, to, to, to have some questions, 
you know, I think there, there, there was an opportunity for the church to say that that's safe and that's okay. So as a pastor, now that I'm kind of on the other end of things, I'm always wanting to make it clear that though I am adamant and it shocks some people sometimes because I'm fairly adamant and demonstrative in what I believe and what I think. Um, yeah. But that, that it's safe to not think exactly what I think or to for not someone be, okay. to be not where you're at just yet. Just yet. Yeah. And we can talk about that. We can be together and I'm not going to immediately categorize you or judge you. Okay. Okay. So that's a perfect follow-up and kind of recap to help people catch up. So uh, what I want to do is just kind of quickly ask about like the whole Pentecostal apostolic church, this whole movement that, you know, you grew up in, uh, you know, I got saved under. It's just that how, how is it that you think we came to that where like that aura was placed on the church and that was just the culture and the feel of it that would have had someone like yourself where you didn't feel comfortable? Uh, sure. I think one of the things, um, and, and if you grew up and you come from a similar place that, uh, from the listeners, if you come from a similar background that, that Justin and I do, like we always felt like our salvation was really contingency based. You know what I mean? Like that at any moment you could lose your Holy Ghost and in turn lose your salvation. Like if you tripped over a big enough rock, you might cough up your Holy Ghost and need to go tarry and speak in tongues again. You know, because you 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 lost your Holy Ghost. So there was always kind of this, you know, like teetering on the ledge of not being saved feeling um, that I had and that a lot of us had. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with like, I don't know, um, you know, the Pentecostal apostolic movement as we know it um, in its current iteration is a relatively young Christian movement, you know, kind of having its origins. Uh, in the Azusa Street movement early of 20th century. And it kind of lacks a lot of uh, uh, scholarship and history um, that some of the other reformations and denominations may have. So I'm not claiming to be some historical scholar uh, mm-hmm. of this movement and have some definitive statements as to why our church had that kind of aura. But one of my assumptions, and this is just my perception, is you'll find a lot of church dogma and how and what they emphasize has yeah. less to do with just what they believe and more to do with, you know, combating the beliefs of others. Okay. So um, a lot of our beliefs are in stark contrast to reformed doctrines that are in some of the mainline denominations like Lutheranism and, 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 and a lot of um, mainline Christian uh, Protestant movements has to do mm-hmm. with, you know, you're saved by grace through faith only. So they emphasize that only, like you don't have to do anything else to be saved and that they, they believe in what they refer to as the perseverance of the saints, that once you're saved, like you can't do anything to backslide and become unsaved. Okay. And our thing was really heavy on holiness and sanctification to combat sure. that belief. Cause you know, we'd always hear holiness without which no man can see him. And that if you weren't baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy ghost, with the initial evidence of speaking, whole in tongues, body under the whole, you know, like I was laughing about it with somebody like I, when I'm old and see now being raised apostolic, like I might not even remember my children's name, but I will remember acts two thirty eight. You know what I mean? Believe it. <laughs> like I, I, that's the last thing that will ever leave my mind is Acts two thirty eight, and a lot of that has to do with because you know that was specifically what made us very different than the other Christian denominations, and it was okay. kind of our grasp of truth, and mm-hmm. and I think so. Yeah, 
I definitely understand how, uh, uh, you know, like you say, from what we kind of grew up on and how it was and, you know, what it would have set that culture on. So that being said, you being, you know, the pastor of a church now in this place where, you know, running a uh, congregation of your own, um, how do you kind of peel back some of those layers and help create maybe a safe place for those conversations with someone who might be feeling that way and, you know, helping really bridge the gap between, you know, you know, maybe you're always saved to you burp wrong and you're unsafe. So this is, that's a great question. And I want to broaden a little bit because the whole idea um, of a safe space, it, I believe is a desirable thing is something that I, I believe is necessary, but I think in our current moment, creating a safe space is a very difficult thing to do because um, what people these days in the year 2019 are asking for a safe space for is a lot different than what I may have been asking for 20 years ago. Like what I was asking for some, some safety for is, you know, to wrestle with my belief. But these days, man, people are asking for safety to just be some things that may be contrary to scripture. The idea of creating a safe space is challenging these days because I desire it. But the question becomes how do you know, like we got these competing definitions of what it means for it to be safe because some people believe like it's only safe if I'm, if I'm accepting what it is that they are proposing so I like that question like I I have some ideas of the things that I do but I think like that question you just asked me is like that's pivotal how do you in 2019 create a safe space is like one of the hardest questions to answer and I don't think I've you know perfected it got some ideas mm-hmm. of how you do it but okay. it's challenging because there's some people that's asking for safety for things that I don't know if it should be safe for Right. So maybe um, not des- uh, a, a place of full-fledged acceptance and allowing anything, but a place where if someone is dealing with some sort of struggle, no matter what it is, uh, whether it be the most basic struggles or the one where they feel as if they're possessed with something and can't beat it, how do you create or how do you uh, propose to cr- have this thing where you can at least open the conversation so you can help counsel and pastor this person and whatever they may be dealing with because I, I I you know let me take the position of the person who would want to come to a, a pastor like yourself but I'm scared that you're just going to condemn me right to hell and kick me out the door well so I it's 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 I don't you know because I can I want to make sure we leave this broad so I just I got to make sure that we come back to Yes. The idea of the 2019 definition of safe space for the for many people, acceptance is inherent in it being safe. Now, for those that understand that their their need isn't for me to accept where they are, but they just need to be able to tell me where they are and me provide and extend grace for them. Like that's pretty straightforward because we both agree on what the church is for, what my role as a pastor is for. So 
then that becomes a lot less complicated. So like for me, when I was a kid, if somebody had just told me, hey, we can talk about this and it'll be okay. Like that's all I would have needed because I we, we agreed on what the premise of what the pastor and the church was for. So like, you know, I think that's where testimonies come into play. Okay. Um, and, and not just, and here's the key, not just testimonies of where I was before I got saved, because we major in those testimonies, you right. know, of what I was doing before I got saved. I think creating a safe space is telling the testimonies of deliverance, forgiveness that we got even while we were saved. That was why I wanted to share, you know, my testimony of struggling with doubt. You know, I, mm-hmm. most most preachers and teachers and pastors and even saints don't like telling the testimonies of where they were even while they've been on their walk. They'll tell okay. you they were a drug dealing gang member. And then once they got saved, they were just like good from that day forward. So I think a safe All space. <laughs> right. You know, like overnight. And I've been good ever since we don't share our Christian struggles. So I think. If and again, this is really contingent on us agreeing on the purpose of the church and the pastor. Mm-hmm. I can create that safe space through my testimony and 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 encouraging people to be open with their leaders. Okay, so that's a, a great, 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 great way of uh, segueing into uh, a question I did want to hit on is because you said you and said person agreeing as to what the church is for and what it is. So, can I ask you what is the purpose of the church? What is it? So the I know what my definition is for our conversation today, you know, like there's a lot of disagreement on that question. That's the problem we're having in Christianity right now. Every Uh church doesn't agree on what the church's purpose is. So you got the church and its different denominations and its iterations disagreeing on what the church's purpose is. And then you definitely have unsafe people. Who've never been in church, but for some reason feel like they should tell be able to tell you what the church's job and purpose is. So, okay. like that, that's that that's what makes it complicated because especially people in the world, they come to you telling you what the church is for and what Jesus would have done. Like that's what always kills me on social media, <laughs> in the news. Like there's people that have never been to a church a day in their life, and they'll tell you they don't plan on coming to church. I don't believe in the Bible. I'm an atheist, but they are really quick to tell you what Jesus would do about a certain situation. They'll tell you Jesus would give universal health care jesus would accept the gay a, a gay person like so then they come like it's almost impossible now yeah to like have a common grounds conversation with someone that's coming to the table uneducated but already believing what you should be to them jesus would accept me exactly how i am so your job yeah. as the church is just to accept me and now we got you know like and accepting exactly how i am like that's one definition that yeah. a lot of people in the world in 2019 have is so a is good that church. Our job is that kind of our job to help define as to what we are out there for. Like, you know, because if you say that these uh, per se unbelievers are defining the who we are as a church, or what they expect from us, is that because we as a church haven't done a good enough job of making it clear as to what we are? Well, yes. Yes, and I think our cultural moment has created that um, as well. 
So like the so again, so now the the world has their perception and I believe um our cultural shift. So the culture wars um that have been waging raging over the last 10 or so years where, you know, the the movement towards acceptance of homosexuality and the change shifting of the public perception against the church's views. I think that is what's created a position of authority that the world feels like they can tell the church now what they should believe. Cause it's like, it's more of us now that um, believe what we believe we are the moral authority. And um, so now we can tell the church what they believe. I think that like the shifting dynamics. And if we, we were digging into it, I'd talk about some of the things that happened over the course of the Obama era. Um, I think that's what created the world's feeling that they should tell us what we think and feel justified in doing so because they're the moral authority. Now they said that gay should be accepted and that's what the turning tide has been. So we should tell you. And then also I think the church hasn't done a great job as well of agreeing because churches definitely do have different definitions. Okay. Okay. So, you know, and, and that I, I certainly see that where like we can get into like bloodbaths within uh each other, you know, one church and another church as to, you know, kind of like we've been dealing with, you know, just in Bible study with the whole Godhead situation, just, you know, church is not able to grip upon things. So, um, you had mentioned, you know, accepting versus uh, the safe space. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do you have, uh, you know, I kind of joke about, you know, so here's the thing or here's the two things you have. Sure. Do you have a couple prescriptions or steps that you'd like to place out and challenge us as Christians or as believers or as yourself as the pastor to kind of start bridging that gap and being able to clarify it? Well, everybody. So. It, it is the job of every Christian to create a safe space for an unbeliever because I, I believe that they only receive the gospel in a place that they feel safe with the motives of the preacher of the gospel. Like, I, Well, I don't say that only, but that's the safest or the best way if they believe your motives are pure, even if they may not be. So all of us have to get good at creating this safe space. And again, the challenge is because for the unsaved now in order for them to feel safe they have to feel accepted first and that's the challenge like i have a a, a friend that does campus ministry and um well uh I, I won't call names but someone you know as well that does campus ministry and they've done mixers where they invite the whole campus and you know provide food just to you know be kind and and be welcoming and and kind of advertise themselves to the community. And you had some people that showed up, packed their plates full of food, and then asked the question, do you agree with homosexuality and gay marriage? Like that was the first question they asked and the only thing that they wanted to know. And (laughs) when they didn't get an answer that was sufficient for them, they got up and walked away. I was there for that. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, you were there for that. So yeah, so you know the story that I'm telling you and you know it's true. Yes. That, it, yes. That, that that was all they wanted to know. So like, that's what's challenging is if you come and this only hinges on this, how do we then even dialogue? So a lot of this is creating a safe space is contingent upon 
both of us believing and having the same definition of safe. And that's why I think this conversation is important. Not to go completely off topic, mm-hmm. but like the, the 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 culture wars, and I've said this, and I said this years ago, that the question around homosexuality in the church mm-hmm. and whether it should be accepted or not. And there are people who waged bloody war and are still waging bloody war over this topic. And we missed what the real important issue was on the table. That homosexuality mm-hmm. isn't the issue. Okay. It's a sign that you've already lost the issue. So if you, again, you go to Romans 1, that is, you know, one of the New Testament walking sticks as it pertains to homosexuality and why the Bible teaches against it. It's not saying just on its face, homosexuality is wrong. It's saying as a result of people choosing to worship the creature over the creator, God gave them over to themselves. And then this Mm -hmm. is what they went to do. So it's actually a follow-up to what the worst thing is, and that's worshiping the creature over the creator. So, and and I say this to say that, that, that us fighting this fight actually created the real issue is it skewed what the purpose of the church is. Like now there are a lot of people that want church, but they want it for the wrong reason. They want it as a place for acceptance, as opposed to a place where you find God. Like okay. that's 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 the real issue is now people believe that the church, if it's a good church, if it's a right church, it's a church that accepts me just as I am, which is anti-gospel. Like okay. in order to be able to accept the gospel, one must first confess that I am a sinner. I am flawed. I have fallen short. I am not who I should be. So I, the, the world is in, in the enemy is so shrewd by making this issue the way, like by framing this issue, the way he has framed it, mm-hmm. that homosexuality has extended into you are beautiful, just the way you are. And someone in order for someone to love you, they have to accept you just the way they are. He is literally inoculating and, 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 and sterilizing people and making them it almost impossible for them to, Accept the gospel because inherent in their view of love and safety is you, you can't tell me that there's anything wrong with me. So therefore, I have been cut off from what is the first requirement of receiving the gospel, and that is I'm a sinner in need of salvation. So that the hard thing about creating a safe space is like I can't create a safe space like the one you want unless you're willing to first admit that you are a sinner. Now, we can start talking about what being a sinner means, and that's when we can get into the discussion of homosexuality, transgenderism, things of that nature, but we got to be able to agree, first and foremost, what the church is for and what the gospel is for, and that is to address people who are self-admitted sinners. So I went off a little bit on a tangent, but in my mind, knowing that a safe space is so necessary it's challenging my ability to do and and have a safe space because the enemy in a very shrewd move has skewed the definition of a safe okay so you know and um safe 
versus accepting because I think that was where they, they it sounds like the two have been blended, even though I think it yeah. should be two separate things. Like safe is like, hey, this is where I'm at. And uh, accepting is, oh, that's okay. Where you at but, it, where you are is good and okay. Right. Because, you know, for the topic of uh, homosexuality is uh, a conversation that used to be very, very much more out there was the whole uh, whether it was a, even a choice and people believing that, you know, it's just that's the way that people are born. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, you know, I, I don't know. What do you feel like as far as like, I don't know. You don't have to directly answer sure. if you believe it's a choice or not, but just no, like I'm good. how that skews it, you know, or whatever. Because, listen, I tell people, if you know what the gospel is for, I don't, it doesn't matter if it's a choice or you were born that way. I'm a sinner and I was born a sinner. So whatever is inherent in that nature, like I, it's okay. I don't have to die on the hill. And again, that's why the church has to be careful about how we interpret and how we engage and use the scriptures. We talked about a little bit in the last conversation about masculinity. Like if we don't, um, you know, handle the scriptures appropriately, we put ourselves in a really bad position. So I don't, you know, I don't have to die on the hill of it's a choice because I know Mm -hmm. some people, and again, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but you know, like some people wrestle with same sex attraction as a result of molestation. I'm not saying everyone does. Sure. As a result of molestation as a child, and 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 like I believe that might even be Tyler Perry's testimony, and um, he didn't choose to be molested. You know, sure. he didn't choose for that to happen to him. Choice doesn't have to be the issue. If okay. I am a sinner and I was born, as the scriptures say, shaping in iniquity, and a descendant of Adam, you know, like right. so. Uh, so uh, I, again, that's why I don't have to get in the weeds of choice what we have to first establish that you are as i am we are all sinners in need of saving by a holy god uh okay so how do then you know this transitions into uh because it's a lot of this comes down to the way we've been perceived as believers as judgmental yes sir so how do we again frame this conversation and reframe our positioning so we can come off and show that our intentions are good and we're not being judgmental and we view all sinners the same and just we're all, you know, anybody of any situation is in need of God's love. Yes, sir. So th- this, this is, and, um, you know, what Jesus is a great, he's a great like example for how to do this. And Jesus gets misused often, but that's how, you know, your intentions are pure and, like his example gets misused on both sides often. Um, and what I think we don't do well enough is we don't live in the space of love as a church often enough. Now, you'll hear the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? Like that becomes right. a, a standard Christian walking stick when we're trying to address sin. But love isn't love unless it's expressed. And what I think the church hasn't done a good job of is expressing the so-called love we have, especially the people who are in sins we don't necessarily agree with. I believe like you can only um, uh, practically you can only declare as much truth as your expression of love can support. So the more I've expressed my love to you, the more I can share my truth. And if my truth gets out ahead of how much love I've shown, okay, 
then like my love can't bear the truth that I'm trying to share with you. Now, I understand exactly what you're saying and where you're going with that, but I really, really, because I feel like it's an important standpoint, mm-hmm. I need you to, as we uh, sometimes say, gump it down, dumb it down for us and say that again as as basic as you can so people really can understand what you're saying with that. Like I ha- you have to have shown, and, and, and not just by like, you have to have shown affection towards people first in order to share hard truths with them. And I think the church has not been affectionate enough towards those whom we disagree. So then when it's time for us to tell them you're wrong or we disagree, like we haven't loved people enough for them to be able to hear that. Like we haven't loved the way, like Jesus was extremely affectionate towards sinners. That's why he sat with them at their house and you read the scriptures. He was reclined at the table with them. Like he was very affectionate in his love. He would protect them from the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He was very affectionate towards them. He would understand and explain their plight. And I don't think the church corporately, now this is, I do think the church gets a bad rap on this. Well, that's the enemy's job, right? That is his job. Um, because if if we had time, I'd go down uh, the rabbit hole of the bad rap the black church has gotten when it comes to homosexuality. Um, they're, they're, I, I could go down the rabbit hole of telling you the people bash the black church as a homophobic, hateful institution. But can I be honest with you? The black church Oops. accepted gay black men before everybody else did, besides maybe Broadway. The right. Okay. Black church was a safe haven for gay black men for generations. And we accepted, nobody was dumb. We accepted, we celebrate, celebrated and loved gay people in the black church for generations. Now, it became a contentious relationship once the terms of safety changed. That mm-hmm. The reason why we could have a symbiotic relationship with people who knew, professed, and wrestled with same-sex relationship, attraction rather, and homosexuality for generations in the church is because we share the same definition of the church. We're sinners in need of salvation. And I'm okay with you believing what I wrestle with is sin if you provide a safe space for me, you still love me. You still celebrate me, my gifts, my music, my choir directing, my clothes. There's so like the gay black culture in the church. And that's a whole episode that we could <laughs> go down. And it's amazing right. to me that now all of a sudden people act like the black church has just hated gay people forever. Nothing could be further from the truth. But the problem is when the question came up and people started demanding acceptance, then we stopped being affectionate publicly, corporately. Then preachers get in the church and say harsh, hateful, mean things, of which I will raise my hand and say I was one and I wasn't wise in keeping, you know, my affection high, even in the face of conflict. Okay. You know, so the church corporately has to do a good job of being affectionate towards people in order to then share their truth. And I'm not just talking about handing out meals to homeless people. Like those are things we do well, you know, we mm-hmm. will build houses for habitat for humanity, but I'm talking about actual affection, not 
the English mm-hmm. word for charity. I'm talking about the Greek word for charity, you know, love that is affectionate. And we don't do that well enough. So once you show affection, then you can share truth. The same way parents can share hard truths with their children because they feed them, they clothe them, they love them, they affirm them, they tell them they're proud of them. Then they can say, son, but you have to do something different. And I don't think the church does that well. Okay. I can okay. say a lot more, but I'm going to stop there because I went down my rabbit hole with the black church. Because <laughs> it's a pet peeve it. of mine. It's actually a pet peeve of mine. I'm like, are you kidding? This whole world that's judging the church as homophobic, academia, uh, 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 you know, um, the Bigot. workplaces. Like, are you the president? Like, are you kidding me? For the <laughs> 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, before you all were on board with this. Black men sought refuge in the church. That was the only safe place for them to go. Yeah, a lot of churches definitely had a member or two, you know. Or two? <laughs> <laughs> but they were but but yeah. I but I've had I've had individuals testify to me that in in in, in, in private. Like that, yeah, I love the church because that was the only safe place I could go. They made fun of me at school. They beat right. me up. I couldn't play on the football team. I couldn't play on the basketball team, but I could do and be a great person in the church. Sure. As long and, as we agree what this was for. And, you know, and, and that's a testimony that doesn't get out enough. And, you know, I guess I don't know how we lost that public debate and public fight that we didn't put that message out there that, you know, uh, that, too, can be something that we're, we're OK with. with Because we refuse to remain affectionate. Because yeah. we refuse okay. to remain affectionate. Like that was something Jesus was very good at doing was remaining affectionate. Towards those who needed it when it was necessary, like in the face of, so when he was fighting with the Pharisees, he would always remain affectionate to those who needed it. He would defend them. So like we had some opportunities when the government is doing some harsh things, you know, to, to, to be the affectionate ones. And we, we didn't do it. We would back government policies that were hurtful. In the name okay. of our supposed truth. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that sets up again, teases to another episode of the politics and Christians. Yes, sir. Because the politics, that's a bad way to wield your truth. That's what Jesus would come. come he would combat the Pharisees who chose to wield their truth through policies and law and the church. We made a big mistake in a lot of instances. Now, again, it's a balance because I'm not saying the law should be devoid of our truth. I'm saying it's a bad way to wield and enforce and reaffirm our truth. When you talk about things like gays serving in the military and uh, it's a lot of things. But um, but there are some places where I'm like, hey, I understand. I want the law to line up with what I believe. But we became combative instead of affectionate and sharing our truth. And that's how I think. Uh, we got a bad rap and lost our ability to create a safe space for people. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I was looking at the time and was ready to wrap it up, but I just, I no, man, I'm not ready yet. Question. I'm sorry. They're gonna have to listen I'm, to us for a little while. Long. I, I gotta get this next question. Cause I'm curious as to how you would feel. And this one kind of ties to a scripture. Uh, we were kind of talking about with God being married to the backslider. Um, and you know, if we need to quote the scripture, you can get to it. Uh, cause I know you know it. Uh, but in a situation with someone who's, um, you know, per se a gay Christian, you know, like, is, is that something that like, you know, how do you speak towards that? Like someone who's like, you know, all these other things, but this homosexuality or this me uh, loving a man as a man or a woman as a woman, how do you uh, propose or combat that and say, look, good. Yep. I believe I'm safe, but 
I'm a homosexual. Well, so the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to exercise what I believe is is some wisdom, again, personally, that I haven't always exercised. And I'm going to refuse to isolate that issue as if it is on its own island and I don't have to have the same conversation with a man that likes women, but he likes too many of them. You know what I mean? Or a man that has cheated on his wife, like homosexual. I'm, I'm like, that's a, that's a, that's a tricky thing to act like I got to create a specific argument for somebody that deals with same sex attraction. And that yeah. was one of the things that I think we lost in our ability because we fell into, Oh man, the enemy was so shrewd when he set the church up to, to, to scrap with this issue because when we isolated it, Oh man, we showed our hypocritical nature, man. We showed some of the worst parts of who we are and that that some discrimination and, and, and prejudice really was at the heart of 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 where we were standing. And it wasn't just the scriptures. It was just because we were disgusted by it, you know, mm-hmm. on a natural level. So I think one of the things that I have to do, I'm not dodging your question. I'm saying what I'm talking about pertains to everybody, whatever sin they're wrestling with. Um, I, I don't believe all sins are equal, but I don't think homosexuality is one that falls on some completely different because Paul speaks specifically about sexual immorality and he lists all the ways we are sexually immoral. He doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't highlight just one um, because the, the the verse I believe you're referring to is Jeremiah 3 and 14 and turn O backsliding children saith the Lord. For I am married unto you, and I will take you uh, one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So it's prophecy to those who are in a bad place. Um, and, 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 and that's why I said I think we, we lost what is inherent. I don't think any of this is difficult if we can believe we, we're, we're backslidden. Okay. If, there was, if there was a way to isolate the homosexual issue is if you, the only way, and that's, that, that's what I tell people is a little different about the issue now is because even if somebody is cheating on their wife and sitting in the congregation, if I said over the mic and I do say you're cheating on your wife, you're in sin. And if you continue in that sin, you're on your way to hell. I don't believe the adulterer is going to get up offended that I told him that mm-hmm. if you know, if, if, if I preach and I taught and I do on a regular basis, that if you are fornicating and living with your spouse, fornicating and having sex before marriage, you are in sin and you need to stop. They would not get up and say, I offended them and I'm preaching hate, even if they didn't plan on stopping fornicating. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I, I, that, that I believe is, believe is where the, the, the discussion was is 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 challenged now again talking about safety is yep. now synonymous with acceptance um so you know if we can agree that if we can just wrestle with the fact that we are backslidden or we're not where we should be then like if that foundation is set now i have the room to preach and teach and express the love of god to you unreserved because this is what's crucial again we talked early in the conversation about our church history of pentecostal apostolic wanting to combat this one saved always saved right 
concept. But man, if I, I laugh and I'll, I'm in a chat and have conversations with preachers often. And one of the things we say is like the great, if we really preach the grace of God, the way the Bible teaches it, it's uh-huh. dangerous, man. Because if he says, I'm married to you, this is the challenge. Right. God doesn't believe in divorce. Right. <laughs> oh boy so if i and i hammer it home all the time i don't believe in divorce i don't believe there's grounds for it if god says he's married to you man that has a whole lot of implications to it okay but you but but context is backsliding children that's why i said you got to be able to receive that message regarding ourselves and then we can preach the grace of god to the extent that covers so much sin that exists in the lives of people you know and and i can really drill down to the point that man god is not leaving you if you ever end up away from god it's because you left him not because he left you i don't care what you did if you end up apart from him it's because you left him. Like that's what I tell people often is don't leave him. I don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care how many times you've tripped, you've fallen. Don't leave him because he's not leaving you. I don't care how embarrassed you are. I don't care how down on yourself you are. I don't care how much of a failure you think you are because you said you'd never do it again and you keep doing it again. He's married to you and he doesn't believe in divorce and if you just stay married and turn to him he's going to take you and uh, your family and he's going to bring you to zion he's going to take you to the place you should be if you just stay with him even if you trip and fall he's going to cast it into the sea of forgetfulness his mercy is new every morning like so just keep coming back keep coming back keep coming back because he's not leaving and he's not tired of you coming back so your your uh word of encouragement and uh if I could simplify it, you know, which I hate to try to do with that powerful please do if I, yeah. Just okay. the, the the concept of someone with whatever it is, even if maybe they don't consider it a struggle. Mm-hmm. Like let's like the gay Christian. They don't consider that a struggle. They consider that that's the way they are and they got everything else down cold. Come on in and just receive some love. Is that what you're saying? Uh, not quite. Okay. Not quite. They they don't necessarily have to specify. So the grounds first has to be I'm a sinner. So so let me I, again. I know we're over our time, yeah. but there's one thing that I wanna I wanna specify. This is why it's dangerous to let people that don't really know Jesus keep trying to tell everybody what Jesus would do. So we got this pop culture version of Jesus that all he did was accept <laughs> pop culture of Jesus. I love yeah, that. there's That's a pop hilarious. culture version of Jesus. There's a pop culture version of uh you know. Uh, of jazz, you know, there's always these pop culture versions that are watered down, that are not true to the heart of what it is. So there's this pop culture understanding of Jesus that all he did was accept, sit with, drink with sinners. Jesus did do that, but man, people that act like that's all Jesus did don't know Jesus and they don't know their Bibles. Number one, he called them sick. Like he 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 told the Pharisees was trying to dog Jesus for being with the sinners, and in the presence of the sinners, he said, "Those who are whole don't need a physician." Okay. Those who are sick, so man, if I call certain folks sick, they'll be up in arms. I'm hateful, but Jesus did it. 
but also people that act like all Jesus did was sit with and accept sinners. So this goes to my thing of you express affection and then you can share hard truth. Mm -hmm. Jesus had loved on those people so much. You find in John chapter six, it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole of my Bible. Jesus feeds 5,000. He shows so much affection for them. He says, they've been out here all day, sit them down and feed them. His disciples are like, Jesus, send these people home. There's not enough food to feed them. And Jesus being so affectionate for them would not let them leave hungry and says, sit them down and feed them. And that's where you get the miracle of him feeding the 5,000. It's a sheer display of affection from Jesus to people that were with him, regardless of their current state. But boy, you gotta keep reading. First, Jesus then separates himself from them. He goes up into the mountain because the Bible says they would have arrested him and made him king. He sends his disciples to the other side of the sea. And then you get the story of Jesus walking on the water and coming up to his disciples because they were like, Jesus, how are you going to get over there? They said, don't worry, I'll meet you there. They thought he was going to get a boat. They didn't <laughs> know that Jesus was going to walk on the water to get over to the other side of the sea. Right. All the people who Jesus had just been so affectionate with, all those sinners, those publicans, those drunkards, they wake up in the morning and find Jesus gone. They get in their boats and follow him to the other side of the sea. And this is where you get another side of the affectionate Jesus. He tells them in chapter number six, after he's just been affectionate to them, he said, listen, you follow me not because God is with me. You follow me because your belly is full. Now, if you're going to keep following me, I'm the bread of life and bread of heaven, and you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And Mm -hmm. the Bible says many of them went away from him and didn't follow him anymore. Yeah, you're talking like a cannibal. You're talking crazy. And, And Jesus rebuked them. He said, because you're only following me because your belly is full. You're only following me because you're getting what you want. And people are starved for affirmation. They're starved for acceptance. And you're not following me because God is here. That's 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 why you get a, a, a wayward um, conception of the church. If I believe what I'm coming to get is just acceptance and affirmation for who I am. I believe God is going to tell some of those folks that you think you were doing God's work by just continuing an affection. But at a certain point, Jesus is going to say, you only follow me because your belly is full because you believe this is a place where you're loved and accepted exactly how you are no matter what because no other place on planet earth do you not have to get better in order to get what you want but people believe that i'm i'm let me <laughs> let me relax because it's it's i'm mad at the devil i'm not mad at people because he no. tricked us man yeah. And it's people that feel so holy that they're doing God's work because they're sitting with publicans and sinners like Jesus did. And they won't ever get to the end of chapter six where Jesus said, now that I fed you, you and you know, I love you. I've defended you to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I fed you when there wasn't enough food to feed you. Now I got to tell you, you only follow me because your belly is full, not because of the miracles or the sign that God is with me. And I like you need both sides of that. And and I think normally we we specialize in one or the other. We especially we specialize in either the beginning of chapter six and being affectionate. And I think a lot of modern churches do that, or what we would call secret sensitive. 
Mm-hmm. Or we specialize in it. You don't really want God. You just follow him because your belly is full. And then we preach all of the homosexuality scriptures. All the liars shall have their part in the lake and holiness without which no man shall see him and bind them hand and foot and cast them in outer darkness because a liar won't tear in his presence. Like we stay at end of chapter six, Jesus. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Where a great church balances the tension between affection and believing that this is the pillar and ground of truth. But the more truth you want to preach, the more love and affection you got to got to express. Sermon over. <laughs> oh, to be continued even. Yes, sir. Like I, I, I couldn't I get enough so much of that more. word. And, and, and that's just part of the uh, beauty of this podcast, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're having a conversation and we just ended up there. Right. Yes, we did. And we'll end up where we got to end up and we'll pick right back up next week or wherever else the Lord takes us. Uh, but just in closing, um, make sure, you're, you know, um, we'll see you guys next week. Real quick for the topic of a conversation, though. Um, did you hear the Jeopardy guy finally lost? He did. Yeah, yeah, I saw it this morning. It was on the Today Show. Like, it's yeah, it was that, breaking like, news. Apparently, he was only the second best ever with his winnings or earnings, and it was something crazy, like somebody yeah, yeah, else had yeah. done better. But that being said, I'm just curious, what show have you always wanted to be on? What show was it you think you could have done on or it would have been fun, whether it had been you or yourself or your whole family? Like, what was the show you always wanted to do? Um, not because I think I would be particularly good at it, but the price is right. Like, And it's okay. because that was the game show I watched. Most mm-hmm. I watched Jeopardy, I watched Wheel of Fortune, but I never thought I would ne- be necessarily great at that. Mm-hmm. But just one time, I would love to spin the wheel. On, <laughs> the price is right. Come on, the price on is down. Right. Yeah, come on down. Like run down. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Like that's the one I imagine myself being. I used to watch it faithfully, like at work. There's before I like I had an office to sit in, like right above yeah. my desk, there was a television. Oh, and we used yeah. to watch Prices Right literally every single day. day. Yeah. And so that, that you know, Bob Barker <laughs> or Drew Carey, I take either one as the host. Okay, and that I was my next question. Right. So you feel like Drew uh Drew's done a pretty good job taking the Drew's mantle? good, man. I'm all in with Drew. Yes. All right, cool, cool. <laughs> what about you, man? <laughs> oh man, you know, you go think it, but it was the American Gladiator. Man. Now that's a throwback, man. That, I'll tell you, man. I used to watch Nitro Blaze and yeah, all man. of them, and I would be like, man, when I get older, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, like, I used to want to like, like the the uh, jousting when they'd be standing, and balancing, and hitting. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was great. I would have done that a hundred times over. Now all those shows kind of are back, but I ain't, I'm past that. <laughs> <laughs> no, American Ninja version of American Ninja War, all that stuff. Nah, I'm sick. I like watching it, but I don't want no any parts of actually no parts, it. not anymore. <laughs> but yeah, man, I appreciate you as always, uh, burning the midnight oils, as they say, and uh, really getting real with this uh, very serious topic, as you always do. And uh, you know, we'll see you next week. All right, dope. All right, thanks, Justin. I'll holler at you, man.